You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Now, there's no confusion. I had a cup of coffee, I had $200 bills, and now I have one. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of the Hacking Humans podcast, an occasional series we call Hacking Humans Goes to the Movies. I'm Dave Bittner, and joining me is my CyberWire colleague, Rick Howard. Hello, Rick. Hey, Dave. On this show, Rick and I look at some of our favorite clips from cinema and television, clips which demonstrate some of the scams and schemes Joe Kerrigan and I talk about on Hacking Humans. And we are thrilled to be joined once again by Tracy Mayleaf. She is a security researcher at the Krebs Stamos Group. And you may also know her on Twitter as Infosec Sherpa. Tracy, great to have you back. Thanks so much for having me back. I really enjoy this, and I love talking about the uh, cross-section of information security in movies. Welcome, Tracy. It's glad to have you on. (laughs) This is fantastic. All right, we've got some fun clips to share, so stay tuned. We'll be right back after this message from our show sponsor. All right, let's jump into our clips here. Uh, Rick, why don't you start things off for us? Yeah, my clip this week comes from the 2004 movie Criminal and directed by Gregory Jacobs, best known for producing the Tom Cruise movie Edge of Tomorrow. And he also did Magic Mike and Ocean's 12, so he's got that going for him. Hmm. Uh, It stars John C. Riley, famous for being a perennial that guy actor, but we all know him and love him in Wreck-It Ralph and Kong Skull Island, which I love, by the way, and Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, I think, Kong I, I think Mo- he's, I think he's underrated. Like he's, oh, yeah. he's, I think because he plays so many oddball characters, people don't notice how good he is. He really is. He was in Chicago, the musical, and he did the tap number uh, cellophane, which is just yeah. amazing, by the way. So yeah, lots of versatility. Um, and the other, his co-star is uh, Diego Luna. Uh, he's famous for the Disney TV show going on right now called Andor. And he was also in the Star Wars movie Rogue One. So in Criminal, Riley is a veteran low-end street con artist. And he has taken Luna, who is a beginner, under his wing as kind of an apprentice. And the two of them, as well as Riley's sister, played by Maggie Gyllenhaal, try to swindle a currency collector by selling him a counterfeit copy of an extremely rare currency bill. But in this first part, okay, we're just going to do a low-end con here. So... um, in this series of clips, Riley is teaching Luna the ropes. So let me set the scene. They are both walking the streets of Beverly Hills. Riley is dressed like a typical businessman, gray suit, matching gray tie, blue shirt, not too fancy, but distinguished. And Luna is in casual clothes and they don't look like they go together at all. Right. And so mm. they walk across the street stop outside a small curbside cafe, and this is where we'll start. So we'll roll the clip. You ever been to Beverly Hills? No. It's a great place to work. All right, so go in here, order a soy latte to go. Okay. Pay with this. Mm -hmm. Come find me. All right, cool. All right, stop there, Dave. All right, so here's what's going on. Riley hands Luna a $100 bill, but before he does, he tears off a small corner of it and keeps it, and that's important for the con that will happen later. So 
fast forward to later in the day and Riley and Luna are eating at that same cafe, they have a long conversation about family and then it's time to play the second part of the con. So roll it, Dave. Excuse me. Can I get my change, please? Um, what change, sir? The change for the hundred. What hundred? I paid you ten minutes ago with a hundred dollar bill. Sir, you didn't pay me. Excuse me, Daniel, but maybe you got too many tables or something, but uh, ten minutes ago I asked you if you could break a hundred and you said yes. Sir, I believe you're making a mistake. Look, we're past the sir stage. I need to see the manager. Sir, there's no reason to get the manager I don't want to talk to you anymore. You understand what I'm saying? I want to talk to the manager so I can get my change and leave. Okay, you didn't pay, so don't shout. I don't want to shout, but I'm late. Now, I want to see the manager. Go get your boss. Don't be stupid. Excuse me, is there a problem here? Yes, this gentleman says that he paid. No, no, no. I did pay you. There seems to be some sort of confusion. No, there's no confusion. I had a cup of coffee, I had $200 bills, and now I have one. Oh, here. The corner's missing. So the bill I paid with must be missing the corner. Can you check the register and see if there's a $100 bill with the corner missing, please? Yes, you come with me, please? I'm not going anywhere. Get my change, please. I have to get out of here. All right, stop it there, Dave. So mm. I hope it's obvious what's going on here, right? Uh, uh, right after this, there's a quick scene change, and Ryan, Riley and Luna are walking down the street. Riley pays Luna his share of the con. They just walked away with $100. So earlier, remember, Luna paid for some coffee with Riley's torn corner $100 bill. Right. And later, when he was raising the tension in the cafe, Riley told the manager that he paid the lunch bill with that torn collar $100 bill and asked the manager to verify it by looking in the cash register. That is brilliant, right? <laughs> so the manager goes to the cash register and that and the $100 bill is in there as yeah. described. Exactly, right? So yeah. Riley walks away with a clean $100 and probably the manager paid for the lunch too. I'm not sure that's not in the movie, but I'm guessing that's what happened, right? <laughs> and as they're walking away, then Riley teaches Luna why the con worked. And that's why I like this clip because he explains what he actually did. So roll this last part, Dave. I knew that trick. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Did you ever try it? No. Why not? It's, it's too loud. What? You know, you, you have to make a whole scene. That's the point. They're not interested in making a scene. That's the key, okay? The more offended you are, the less suspicious you look. You know, things get sticky. You blame everybody else. Have you been paying attention? Yeah, I just think it's too emotional, that's all. That's it. So, mm. um, what do you guys think? Is that the con of the lifetime there? <laughs> oh, that that is up there, yeah, with the uh, three-card Monty display I saw in San Francisco once, where uh, we we saw who the plants were ahead of time. Oh, really? And, oh, wow. Yeah, I, I don't know if I, I, I know I told the story on some podcasts, but uh, yeah, my husband and I decided to uh, sit, uh, we couldn't find anywhere to sit uh, near Fisherman's Wharf, so we found this trolley that was out of commission, and we were sitting there and we saw some other people on the trolley. And um, long story short, when we got up and started walking again, we saw them all together. One was doing the three-card Monty and we could tell that the other two were there. But the look that we got from them when we realized that we had clocked them, um, <laughs> it was one of those, my husband like grabbed my arm tighter and he was like, just keep walking. Like, don't like, don't, don't look back. Don't look at them. Right. Keep walking. Cause yeah, it was, yeah, it was kind of, it was kind of scary. Cause yeah, it was like, Oh, like 
like they know you know (laughs) and you know they know you know so just like that yeah this was well orchestrated because they were talking ahead of time in the in the trolley like we we couldn't hear what they were saying but they clearly like were organizing something uh Mm. so yeah so that this clip reminded me of that a lot of of yeah like you know there there is a script there's a routine there's something to do there's you know, he, the, that, the, with John C. Riley character, uh, yeah, knew, went in with an agenda with, you know, with a checklist of, you know, when to raise the voice, when to ask for the manager, when, you know, the whole we're beyond sir at this point. Like, yeah, that sounded like someone who was genuinely cheesed off about, about this. What I like yeah. about this is it shows the small stakes. Okay. It's small time. He probably, you know, he's a professional veteran con man. So he probably does five or six of these things a day, just walking around different parts of the city. And that's how he makes his living. I I just found that fascinating that that would be a, a way to make your way in the world. Right? Yeah. It's interesting to me, too, that, that how much um, he's relying on everyone else's emotional response, you know, just yeah. by turning up the heat and turning it up and turning it up. And, you know, when the manager comes, he doesn't let the heat go down. And so, no. you know, the manager, at that point, the manager's job is to de-escalate yeah. so that it doesn't ruin it for everyone else at the restaurant. And yeah, so, what, and I, and I think for it what was price? Telling, yeah, you're right. And I think it was telling that, at, you know, when they were walking away, he says, and this is sort of how he manages his life in the movie, too, when you watch the whole thing. Whenever there's a crisis, he blames everybody else and gets out of there. Okay, that's sort of his go-to move. Right? So, he does it professionally and personally. Interesting. And and I do I do want to admit that I don't, I don't know what um what year this I'm not familiar with this movie I don't know what year it is but uh, 2004. let's say 2004 2004 mm-hmm. okay so probably even then though too um if if this was something if a, a white male character has to do that basically right <laughs> I was gonna say that um yeah I I feel like a, you know a person of color wouldn't be able to do that because the the first the first reaction would likely be to call the cops versus oh, trying to negotiate. I would, I would, right, I would, right. uh, I would uh, call that. Let, let's put, let's flip it. Let's put Luna in the business suit. I mm-hmm. think he might even have more success because he could be so affronted that they would accuse a non-white guy of trying to do something shady, right? That I think that would cause oh. even more tension, right? So, so you think a, a a skilled con person, yeah. could flip that on its head. He. But only if they worked it as a team. I don't think an individual uh, person of color could be the the primary character in the con. Yeah. Um, but yeah. But you're right, Rick. I think that if if there was a team that could play off each other, then yeah, absolutely, that would he, work. But he would I, have to I, be I dressed to the nines. He would have to be impeccable. All right, to to pull that off. I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's so it's complex. But I just wanted to throw that in as as you know these these things. Are are complicated and also you know very much depend on who the actors are the you know the threat actors <laughs> of who <laughs> right. can get away with it and who can't. It seems no, such it's a, a simple fascinating con. clip. Go ahead, Dave. Go ahead. No, it's a fascinating clip, but I wonder also like you could probably get away with this once at each restaurant, right? Right. <laughs> so yeah, or or, yeah. or like this scam could only be pulled once at each restaurant. So if. Uh, if he's making his way around the city and if he's in New York or a big city, then there's, there's plenty of restaurants to do this in. But you, I could imagine him being uh, 
caught by someone saying, yeah, someone else, sorry, buddy. Someone, that's the, you know, someone and, else has done this before. So, yeah. 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 And, and wait staff, you know, move around a lot. So the other, the other thing would be, uh, you know, even in a place like New York City, I mean, there's also a chance that you could run into the same waiter at a different restaurant, you know, six months later and, but you know, and be, it seems know. so obvious that, you know, the, the, the clip corner of the hundred dollar bill, but since it was done earlier in the day, okay. And then they come back much later, like hours later, that's tough. We know because that's, we saw it happen in the movie. Right. But that's tough to explain in the heat of the moment when all that tension is writing and you're right, Dave, that manager's job is to make it go away. So none of the other patrons uh, feel bad about what they're doing. Yeah. So, and, yeah. and that's a big part of why it works, I guess. Right. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, good stuff. It's a, it's a really uh, interesting example there. Um, Tracy, let's move on to your clip. What do you have for us this time? Sure. I have a clip from the talented Mr. Ripley. Ah, good, uh, good which, one. Good yeah, one. which is a, uh, I'm not sure what year it was. I think it's 1999. Uh, 99, yes. 99 film. But, and I actually just learned this looking into uh, the the movie again. It's actually based on a novel that was written in 1955 by Patricia Highsmith, mm. and there was actually a series of of a couple books, five or six books, with Tom Ripley as the character. Uh, so I thought that was that was interesting. Uh, so what I was explaining to the gentleman before we were on air is this is a very visual movie. Uh, so I was having a hard time finding a good clip of just talking that also wasn't too long. <laughs> uh, because that was the other thing too, is I found some great clips, but there was a lot of like, you know, non-vocal action in between. I was like, all right, this is going to be like a 20 minute clip. Uh, so let me set up this, this clip that I, I did want to bring is, this is the very beginning of the film. This is within like the first five minutes of the film. And the reason why I like this is the Tom Ripley, the perpetrator has, has a decision to make very quickly whether or not to go all in or to retreat and once you play the clip you'll you'll hear what i mean and i just think that's i mean that's the whole movie right there is deciding like which way which way is this going to go um and the the scene is he's playing piano uh on a rooftop in manhattan it's a lovely scene uh does take place i guess post-war so i guess early early 50s um and he is wearing a jacket with a uh, Princeton emblem on it. And that's kind of what starts off this whole interaction. All right, I'll play the clip. Most enjoyable, Herbert Green. My wife, Emily. Thank you. Tom Ripley? How do you do? We're at Princeton. Most likely you'll know our son, Dick. Dickie Greenleaf. I couldn't help noticing your jacket. Yes. Class of 56. Was that the moment, Tracy? He decides. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> so, if you listen carefully, the music will be your cue yeah. uh, for that. And and when you're watching it, you can see the wheels in his brain turning of which way to lean into this. And um, you know, and then the we find out later that he borrowed the jacket from someone he was filling in 
uh, for the partner of the singer that we heard a little bit when the clip started. Oh. So, uh, so what what I like about this film, but I'm after digging into it a little bit, I realize it doesn't really do a lot a lot of background setting. So apparently, this Tom Ripley that was just kind of his. Uh, his MO, which he sort of uh, admits to towards the very end of the film, but he was always kind of pulling these uh, small time scams and things like, like that. That was just kind of his life uh, because he ran from playing piano and, you know, getting cash for the gig to next thing, you know, we see him at a, a very fancy restaurant being a, a butler waiter, you know, type of, of person. Um, so, yeah, so it's been made very clearly that the jacket is not his. But, you know, in that moment, he had to make a decision, right? Was he going to, you know, admit that he didn't have, you know, that the jacket wasn't his? Was he going to, you know, to relate that? So that's why I thought it was really interesting is because, you know, there was definitely a decision made yeah. there. And you can see um, it on his face. And, and as yeah. you say, there's like... There's multiple ways he could have gone. He could have said he could have just said, "Oh, I went to Princeton, but I don't know your son." But he went even farther than that. He, yeah, by he goes saying, all in. Yeah, yeah, all in. yeah, he goes yeah, in. exactly. How's <laughs> right. He goes all in. So yeah, I mean this this film. So I the reason why I feel like this is a good uh, you know analogy for for social engineering and information security, and where the infosec part comes in is. You know, Tom Tom Ripley's an APT. He's an advanced persistent threat because he this is he's playing the long game for this. You know, he Oh, because he doesn't he have put, a specific target at that moment. He is correct. He is this yes. is his uh initial entry into the space because Ripley is not rich, right? He is uh no, no, he's a poor he's, guy. And this is a very yeah. rich crowd. So this is his uh uh Breaking into the initial host. This is a zero day host right here. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And it's not until Mr. Greenleaf, who you know, who introduced himself, who started all this off uh, at the party, said, to, "You know, meet me at my construction site, and you know, I, I have a, a job for you." And that's when you know, it turns out, oh, well, I'm going to pay you $1,000 in early 1950s money, <laughs> you know, to go to Italy to, uh, you know, to retrieve my, my ne'er-do-well son. And, you know, and it just keep, but he keeps playing the long game because then, spoiler alert, once he's in Italy, then he starts, you know, writing back, oh, I need more money. Oh, this is going to cost some more. So, that that's why it not only is the social engineering, but this is very much how an APT would be on a network. Is you know it's it's going to kind of maybe maybe a, a malicious actor accidentally falls into mm. a, you know a network like this did. I mean he this uh, this opportunity literally landed in Tom Ripley's lap. And, yeah. and like and, you said, it's a target yeah. of opportunity, right? He didn't go there looking. I need to get in here so I can steal this thing or to do this other thing. It's, no, let me let me uh, get established. And I will um, live off the land, basically. I I really yeah. like that idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's just it speaks volumes to me about how you know we talk about script kiddies doing things and stuff like that. This was just this fell into his lap, and then he made something malicious out of it. So that's very much an analogy for for what's happening and and how long it lasted. You know how long he was able to pull to to pull this off. 
Uh, and then at some point, he even actually had Dickie Greenleaf assisting him. Uh, so again, that could talk to insider threat, you know, within a, an enterprise network or, um, you know, and, and Dickie Greenleaf thought that they were just, you know, scamming his father. But, you know, Tom Ripley had all these more grandiose plans because uh, there's a really good quote at the end of the, the film uh, by Tom Ripley. He said, I always thought it would be better to be a fake somebody than a real nobody. Wow. And, wow. Yeah. Wow. And wow. If, that, if that isn't, if that isn't, you know, threat actors, what, what is? That's dark. That <laughs> yeah. is dark yeah. right there. Oh, man. It struck me, too. You know, I was watching a, a little bit uh, of the clip around this clip that you provided for us. And when Mr. Greenleaf is heading to his car with his wife after the, the uh, performance, he says, well, what an exceptional young man, mm-hmm. you know? And so... Um, in a way, to me, it kind of points to something you pointed out earlier, which is that um, part of him being successful in this was who he was. You know, he was a clean-cut, good-looking, young white man. Um, had he been something different, particularly you think back to the 1950s, you know, had he been a young black man or a young woman or whatever, he, he wouldn't have had the opportunity. They, they, the other people wouldn't have made so many assumptions about him. Mm-hmm. Without him having to explain himself, merely by the fact that he was wearing a Princeton jacket. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're right. If it was a young black man, it could have easily been like, "Where did you get that jacket?" You <laughs> right. know, where did... it would have gone the other but, way. <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. And yeah. and I also feel though this this movie, the, this type of social engineering is very much of its time. Like you know, today with with technology. Th- We'd be able to figure out very like it would be a five minute movie, yeah. <laughs> right? You know, <laughs> right, or, right, right. <laughs> um, you know, so I, I think, so I think if you watch this for the first time and you're, you know, you're very skeptical of it, you really need to put your mindset into what was technology like at the time, which you know there wasn't that much of it, and what were social, you know, mores at the time. Of, right. Yeah, it, it's any connection to connect. Oh, Princeton. Oh, we're part of the same Princeton tribe as well. We want to show off. Um, well, I know what you're know, saying, oh, though, Tracy, because we were my my family and I were talking about how most of the horror movies you watch these days would be solved if you just got to use your cell phone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. right. Well, there, there's this one episode of Seinfeld that's classic, but it would be um, one minute long today. Yeah. It was when they were going back and forth between JFK and LaGuardia. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, like that. Yeah. That this would be like a one minute episode <laughs> yeah, if yeah. that, yeah. you know? Um, so yeah. So sometimes when you watch these things, you have to really think about like, okay, well without phones, without all this. Um, and, and sometimes you wonder like, well, how can people be so easily fooled? Well, they see what they want to see. You know, the, this yep. guy was all in angst that his son is is just being a playboy in, in Italy. And now he's like, oh, I can trust him. He's a Princeton man. So I think this just speaks a lot to a lot of infect, infosec things we talk about, you know, about assuming things, good or bad. Um, you know, like the time when I was a sock analyst and I accidentally blocked all the Google IPs for the offices in a certain country because oh. I thought they were hostile. Sure, and about as, 10, you 10, as you as do. As you do. <laughs> and about, about 10, 15 minutes after I did it, my uh, manager very just calmly turned to me and he said, uh, Tracy, um, any reason why the offices in blank country 
can't get to their Gmail right now? I'm like, yep. <laughs> yep, there's oh, a reason. Man. I was going to ask so, you how long it took them to notice. <laughs> fortunately, yeah. Fortunately, it was only like 10 to 15 minutes. And right. that's when I learned a very valuable lesson about, you know, don't make assumptions mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. indicators of compromise. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because, yeah, so... <laughs> Wow. So people, yeah. like I said, so people believe what they want to believe, and and the Greenleafs wanted to believe that Tom Ripley, uh, you know, was an upstanding, fine uh, individual from Princeton, and therefore entrusted him with this this journey uh, to you know go retrieve their son. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, great clips uh, this time, everybody. Thanks so much. And uh, Tracy, thank you for joining us. It's yeah, always thanks, a pleasure Trace. to have you here. Uh, if folks want to follow you online, what's the best way for them to do that? I'm available on Twitter at Infosec Sherpa. And if you look at my profile, I have a link tree there and where you can see a lot of my uh, talks or or interviews I've given, or other podcasts that uh, I've been on. So and, I will add this one to my link tree when it's ready. And by the way, Infosec Sherpa is the greatest name, Hagger name of all time. Okay, so. <laughs> Thank you. Your, your guide up a mountain of information. Yeah, that's great. All right. Well, again, Tracy Mayleaf, she is a security researcher at the Krebs Stamos Group. And, of course, Rick Howard is my colleague here at the CyberWire. Everybody, thanks so much uh, for, for uh, joining us uh, this time around. This was, this was great fun. We'll have to do it again. You bet. Thanks. We want to thank the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our senior producer is Jennifer Iben. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Fittner. And I'm Rick Howard. And I'm Tracy Mayleaf. Thanks for listening. 